All right, folks, Adidas. Adidas is pushing the boundaries once again in golf footwear. And if you've been counting, I don't I haven't been counting. It's a lot of times. But they're doing it again, so whatever many times it's been, it's at one. Uh, so you need to check this out. It's called the Code Chaos, all capitals. The footwear team let me know that this shoe was meant to break down traditional stereotypes and make a statement that there doesn't have to be one look for the sport when it comes to golf footwear. It's it's athletic and bold from a style standpoint, but this shoe is seriously packed with technology. It's spikeless, but beyond just being tested with guys like DJ and Xander, they did heat map studies. Heat map. That means they know where you are right now. They literally know, and watch, I'm telling you, you're going to get an ad for Adidas footwear in your feed. I'm telling you, and I just, it's not me. I don't know if it's them. It's probably Xander, not DJ. Xander's got an X in his name, so he's a little more sinister. Even though I would not, I would probably feel more likely that DJ would really, he could he could do some damage with the club um, to my face. So to see how players shift their weight, they use this heat mapping technology to, to see where they, they shift their weight, but also where you are physically at this current moment uh, throughout the swing. So anyway, with all that info, they created a new traction system called Twist Grip. Twist grip. That's spelled the way it sounds. Anyway, so the players get the grip they need exactly where they need it. And this is an ad lib and when they need it. That's I just added that. Uh, it's waterproof. Waterproof is key. Let's get let's get honest, folks. If you want a waterproof shoe, unless you live in the desert, you can wear sandals or moccasins. But for everybody else, you need the waterproof shoe. So hit up the code chaos. It's waterproof, lightweight, and obviously has the boost cushioning which we all love. There's even a high-top boa version, which I'm not sure I'm man enough to rock, but John Rahm is. But he's also he's very, very good at golf. We can all agree. These things are next level, so get yourself a pair. Head over to adidas.com slash code chaos. Spelled the way it sounds. Although the C-H in chaos is sounds more like a K. So it's C-O-D-E-C-H-A-O-S. And shop the styles and follow Adidas Golf on Instagram and Twitter for all the latest news from Le Trois Stripes. That's three stripes, folks. All right, one more ad read. I'll probably do another one after this. Jones Sports Go, folks. If you want the bag that I rock, it's the Jones Sports Bag. They got the Player Series. They got the original. What are the other? What's the other models they got? The stand bags? We're pulling it up in the studio, folks. But here's the thing. Jones if you haven't seen the video on YouTube yet, please check it out. We went up there, visited with them. We designed a lot of cool stuff. We're going to be designing more stuff. We have two bags on the Random Golf Club site that have the Random Golf Club script on it. The Utility Trooper is the is the is the info I'm getting of the name of the other bag that I like. It's got the stand. It's got the stand bag. I also I I mostly rock the original, which is based on a design from the 70s. Uh, was his name Jones? His name was Mr. Jones. Mr. Jones and me. Now that guy got in a lot of trouble for some what's that taxi cabs. But the but the guy who sang the song Mr. Jones, he's no he's gotten a lot of trouble. Don't want to talk about him. But Mr. Jones, not that the song is written about, was a taxi driver in New York. He made a golf bag out of the upholstery in his taxi. And that's where Jones has come from. So they're obviously the comfortable shoulder strap on the original series is what I love. Got a lot of cargo space and you got three pockets to hold all your clubs. And you look basically like a badass. You're 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 if you're if you don't have a if you don't have a significant other at the start of the round, you will have one at the end. Am I right? Watch out! It's, it's you know that's the studio here says, get a Jones bag. I'm not going to say get laid, but basically that's what's going to happen. I mean, I, I didn't say it, 
You said it. You heard it. I didn't say it. Jones Sportsco, everybody. Love him. Tailor-made, folks. I got to tell you, the first golf clubs that ever went in my little old hands were tailor-made burner oversize. They had some crusty old grips that I redid myself at risk of my own fingertips with the razor, and I and I got high because I don't know if you've ever re-gripped your clubs, but you, you, you become an, an inhalant addict. Because you're putting like really noxious stuff. Don't don't grip your own clubs unless you really want to. Anyway, mad respect. Give me a fist bump whenever I see you. I grip my own clubs. I put the grips on them myself. I say, how much did you say? I mean, you could save money. You save money because I think you put them on. It's like twenty bucks each, and you and you buy the grips yourself. It's like eight bucks. By the way, regripping fourteen clubs. I mean, you, that's like a lot. Go buy TaylorMades instead. They come with grips. My favorite TaylorMade edition. Now, obviously, the Sim Max I'm playing is a monster club. One of the many things Tiger Woods have an eye in common is playing the Sim. But also, I really I kind of love the wedges. The raw-faced wedges, MG. I both love the high toe in matte black. I also have a matte black shaft. I know you didn't ask, but I went ahead and told you. Anyway, TaylorMade, my favorite thing about TaylorMade, beyond the incredibly performing equipment, is the people that make this company up. The, the band of the band of brothers down here, the band of sisters, the family in Carlsbad, really, really gets behind what we do, and that means it's important for you to get behind what they do. So go support TaylorMade, everybody, and hit them straight, or just don't just just hit them with TaylorMades, though. Just get some. Just stop messing around with all the others. Hit them straight with TaylorMade, but just hit TaylorMade at least. I mean, if you're not, I mean, just just go. I mean, what are you doing? Just pause the pod. Go on TaylorMade. What's their website? I don't even, they don't even need a website. Just go find TaylorMade ASAP. There should be, what? What I play? I play the, okay, Studio is asking me to play, I play the P760s, four through pitch. Then I've got the milled grind raw face, 50, 54, and 58. And then I rock, I'm in between the Gapper and the Sim Hybrid right now. I play the two Gapper. Uh, I've got a steel shaft at six and a half Project X and that one as with all the irons. And then on the driver, I have the uh, Sim Max with a nine degree. I'm still working on getting my numbers on that. I don't really know. I got the ten and a half and the nine. We're gonna, gonna do a little experimentation. Maybe honestly, you know what? Whatever one I don't use, how about it's yours? How about that? We're gonna. I don't know how we're gonna manage this. Head over to the Instagram account. Get ready for the old giveaway of the uh, driver that I can't hit. <laughs> anyway, TaylorMade's the family, folks. Welcome. What's up, everybody? How are you? Welcome to the Air Gamers Link Show, guys. And ladies, I'm very excited to uh, get back get back in the studio here. I'm in my, the old, the old, this used to be the office. And it probably before I lived here was a bedroom. And uh, now it's kind of just a, 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 a room of skeletons, if you will. It's not even a closet. It's just a room of skeletons. A lot of there's a suitcase. There's some tables, some some golf shirts hanging. Someone asked the question, how many golf shirts do I have? I'm going to try to answer that later. Um, but before we get into the pod, the questions, so many great questions. Thank you so much for sending those in. There are a lot of really thoughtful questions. And, you know, I that's that that is that is a um, meaningful compliment because I know how hard it is to come up with a good question sometimes. Um, and and really. There's no such thing as a bad question, uh, you know. But what I'm saying is that it's uh, some questions are 
you know, it takes some thought to come up with a with a good question. So thank you for providing those for this conversation. Um, I just wanted to throw out an idea there. I know that everybody's at home. That's a fact. Um, I did want to share an experience I had the other night in a movie that I watched, and maybe you've seen it, but I watched The Way Back with Ben Affleck. And what's funny is I wasn't even meaning to watch that movie. I was going through like the movie thing on my on the on the device trying to find a movie and I found a movie called The Way Back and it was not with Ben Affleck it was from years ago and it was like totally different plot and then before I watched it I was like oh this looks good like it was a it was a poster of some people hiking on like a beach or on like a shore like a rocky shore and I was like oh that could be cool and then I googled The Way Back synopsis and then I said, oh, cool. It's about an alcoholic guy who coaches a basketball team and, like, you know, it's inspiring. And I thought, this is going to be a great movie. And I pressed play on the movie, and it wasn't the same movie. But anyway, it's the new way back with Ben Affleck. And I got to tell you, it, it is something that I find a lot of inspiration in, and I encourage you to check it out. It is, it's, it seems kind of depressing in the beginning, and that's because it is. But more importantly, in the middle of the film, there is some incredible moments where it's almost like the character that Ben Affleck plays is speaking metaphorically about success and uh, overcoming difficulty and, you know, perseverance. And he talks about there's a there's a scene in which they're he's coaching this sort of rather unsuccessful basketball team of, of high school kids in a, in a relatively, you know, it says inner city, but it, you know, it's anyway. So it's, it's that he is telling them that they can't win the game in one quarter and they're down by a lot, but they could win. They, they have it in them. They know that. And they've been playing well since, you know, Ben Affleck's character has been coaching them. And he just keeps saying it's about chipping away. It's about getting a little bit. It's one one block. Recovery leads to two points. One steal. You know what I mean? Get a foul. Like like it's just it's and really it made me respect basketball in a whole new way. And I don't I don't know too much about basketball. I've I've watched it. I enjoy it. I know that there's a lot of fouling at the end of the game. Um, I know that the first quarter, I'm kind of like, why are we watching this? Why don't we just go with the fourth quarter? But the reason why is because it's such an incredibly high-paced game that is also based on stamina. And that doesn't just relate to golf, but it also relates to life. I mean, you know, we spend some moments sprinting and some moments kind of walking, and ultimately, we're all working towards the same goal, which it's different for everybody, but it's also the same for everybody too, whether it's happiness, fulfillment, meaning, and it's really interesting to watch the 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 sort of crumbling character of Ben Affleck in the in the throes of alcoholism still deliver these messages of you know perseverance chipping away chipping away and and it's it really made me feel like I need to get started right now on whatever it is I want to do and I just need to do a little bit I can't do it all I'm not going to finish it today but I can do a little bit so check that movie out let's get into the questions here um, all right. So first I'm going to go through the, uh, the IG questions. Um, we'll, we'll, I got a lot. And then we got some questions that came in over text, which is awesome. Um, okay. Let's see here. Uh, it's hard on Instagram. It's hard for me to read the screen names cause I can't pronounce a lot of them, but anyway, Reeves 14 Cody, where is somewhere that you never got to go that you wish you could have? 
Good question. I mean, Antarctica rings a bell. Uh, it's one of these places where I know it's really, really hard to get to. I do believe that there is or was a golf course there. However, not as normal as it might have been. Um, you know, I'd like to go to St. Petersburg. I think that would be really beautiful. Um, you know, interestingly, you know, I was flying back from somewhere internationally recently and I saw, I think we were in, I can't remember where I was, but I I looked at all the planes in this Asian airport and every plane was like Vietnam airlines, Thai airways, you know, Singapore airlines, um, you know, Cathay Pacific, Nippon. And there was all of these airlines from all of these countries. And I just realized in one moment, the world is very small. Everything is very close. And it was, it was inspiring anyway. Um, but I mean, there's a lot of places. Uh, would you ever consider, this is from Will P. Fox, would you ever consider doing a tour of New Zealand again, playing hidden gem courses? Um, absolutely. I mean, New Zealand is an incredible golf destination. It's, it's blessed with incredible topography, great people, good quality and quantity of golf. Um, you know, we didn't get to play enough hidden gems, to be honest with you, last time. But uh, I would love to go back and and play more. I mean, you know, hidden gems are really that thing where it's like, you know, obviously, you know, on some in some way, when we do these travel trips, we're motivated, obviously, by covering our expenses. So one of the ways that we do that is by obviously we don't make a lot of money by going to fancy courses or anything like that. But it does sort of subsidize the trip because they'll cover the accommodation and food and it's like okay well that's that's a realistic expense that we need to look at and as well it's more likely that when we make content we need to gauge whether or not people are going to watch it and so you're more likely unfortunately to watch a video on cape kidnappers of Stuart getting a hole in one no less than you are to watch a video that's just titled hidden gem here you know i mean the sugarloaf hidden gems project is the perfect way to experience hidden gems because in some ways filming a hidden gem kind of inverts its entire purpose of being a hidden gem it's like it spoils the story tom doke said in his in our podcast together that when he designs a new course he doesn't want photographers going and spoiling it and, and showing every angle of every hole he wants there to be some mystery and i thought that was kind of interesting can we buy your lut if for those of you that don't know what Adam Gibson's talking about, LUT is look up table, and it is a way of um, you know uh, coloring the images, which I you know I think is beautiful. We use a LUT that's called Merope, M E R O P E, and in differing forms, we kind of lighten the opacity of it in the adjustment layer in Premiere. It's it's free, I believe. I, I don't think you need to buy it. Um, M Bolnis, will you go to Patagonia? There is a Nicholas Design course in Frutilar, Chile. Um, we should have been in Buenos Aires last week, and and I'm dying to go to Patagonia. I can't wait to go. I would love to go see that course. But again, it's one of these things where to take a crew to a course, it is a large financial burden to travel there, to go there. And in some ways, you really need to look at what what is the breakdown, right? Like, like why are we going? What are we going to film? Is it meaningful? Is there a way to subsidize a portion of the trip? You know, so I would love to go there. I would love to go to all 30,000 golf courses in the world. But unfortunately, even if I went to one a day, which is not possible, I would never finish. Uh, That would be 300 years, if my math serves me correctly. Is that right? 300 years? Yeah, one a day is 360 a year. Hang on, I'm going to do the math. All right, yeah, so one a day is um, 82 years of visiting all the courses, and I visited maybe 500, probably closer to four in my lifetime. So I would be a hundred and, uh, uh, 21. 
when I finished. And um, there is a quote that said, uh, golf architects don't die. They just stop being able to board planes. And so I relate to that comment. Uh, hardest location to get to, Jay Sean. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's a cross between Lafutin and um, uh, the uh, Nullerbur, the Outback Golf Course for AIG. No, Lafutin was, uh, we actually were in Scotland and we flew from Scotland to Oslo, and then we had like a four-hour layover, and then Oslo to Evanes, and that's a pretty short flight. But then in Evanes, we needed to buy a uh, rent a car and drive three hours. And of course, we're driving three hours in beautiful sunset, so it took us like six hours because we kept getting out and flying the drone and taking video and photo. And also, they lost our luggage coming from Oslo to Evanes, so it was kind of, I think, a five-hour wait for our luggage at the airport. So that was hard. Um, the Nullerberg Golf Course was uh, a 16-hour flight to uh, Sydney, and then a five-hour flight to Perth, and then a seven-hour drive to um, Kalgoorlie, which was the first hole of the Nullerberg, which was, albeit harder, that said, it was. it's almost like because they were two super long flights and then we just popped in an RV, it felt a little easier, but... Um, but yeah, it was, it was, they're, they're all hard. Let's face it. Um, Silver Baxter, are you planning golf in South Asian countries again? Well, again, season five AIG, we were planning on going to Vietnam. Um, I think that's South Asia. Uh, I would like to go, I haven't played, I've been to Bali, but I never played golf there. I'd love to go all around there. Um, you know, the, the Asian countries have such a wonderful way of incorporating golf into the culture there. And it's, it's a really wonderful experience. You know, I would love to do that. That's absolutely definitely going to happen. Uh, Jay Sean, again, hidden gem. I mean, for me, it's Western Gales in Scotland. You can see that video on the YouTube channel. Um, I think it's uh, one of the early episodes of the uh, unofficial golf guide to Scotland. If you just type in Western Gales, I'm sure you'll find it. And that was a course that we weren't quite expecting. And, you know, it's it's not big, it's not sprawling, but it's it's delicate and it's polite. It's it's a very sweet golf course. The the whole experience there is was magical. Um, okay. Uh, Silver Baxter, Prison View Golf Course, Louisiana. I mean, man, Scratch did a repost of a lot of the videos and I went through the story of getting on that golf course, which was really challenging. Go to their Instagram to check that out. That was a really incredible experience. Onoku, best public course you've ever played. Folks, it's Beth Page Black for me, man. I love that. Or, ah, I mean, it's Beth Page Black. It's got to be. I mean, Rustic Canyon's really good. Um, Lawsonia Lynx is really good. Beth Page has obviously, you know, it's hosted majors, different majors, PGA, U.S. Open. Um, it's It's got Tillinghast at the helm. I mean, it's just a magnificent golf course that's, that's also at the crowning jewel of the mecca of golf courses out there in Farmingdale, New York. That's Page Black really sticks out for me. Um, Ram score six, what locations will you be hitting up in South America once it's okay to travel again? We are looking at doing three episodes, I think, which is Buenos Aires. There's the Jockey Club, which we probably won't be able to um, gain entry into with our cameras, but I'd like to tell the story of the McKenzie course in Buenos Aires and somehow talk about Buenos Aires in general as being a hub of golf down there in that wonderful uh, you know, area that I've never been to South America. And then we were going to go to Ushuaia Golf Course, which is in uh, – down in Argentina, which is in the Tierra del Fuego. It's a nine-hole course that's quite south. 
And then uh, it was a combination of either doing a uh, Amazon golf course in uh, Bolivia or the highest golf course in Peru. Uh, so one of the two. And also, will you be having an RGC in South America when you film AIG here? So that is a that is a hot debate in the in the uh, the crew over here. We want to do it. Doing it is not easy, um, but we would like to do it. I think we will do something like that in some fashion in Buenos Aires, of course. Ram score six. You've you've submitted four questions, my guy. That's a lot of questions. I'm going to read them all. Which is the one country you want to go to and haven't yet? I've already answered that. Um, if you could re-record an AIG episode where you've already been, which would it be and why? Uh, Iceland or Thailand? Uh, Iceland is magical. I want to go back. I want to sink my teeth in further. I know a little more now. I want to experience more. It's such a – we have a big uh, sort of in-depth cover story on Iceland coming out in the next couple months. Stuart's writing this like six or 7,000-word article that's going to accompany four videos that we made while we were there on the back of AIG. We were there filming AIG, but we're going to make a, uh, a, little, a little deep dive into the Iceland golf that we experienced as well. Uh, Thailand's also obviously beautiful. If you haven't been, ooh, go there. Steve Lonnie, what inspired the old man complaining at a deli voice that we hear on the pod? Hilarious. <laughs> Steve, it's Bill Burr. Bill Burr's podcast. It was really, that's kind of what got me into doing the podcast because I just thought, hey, this guy can just go on forever. And he's really good. That said, Bill Burr's pod made me angry. I would find myself in traffic just about to explode after listening to Bill Burr exploding. But he does the old guy, Deli, <laughs> the Deli voice very well. I mean, I've had this voice for a while, let's face it. I also, if you didn't know, I worked in a deli in Manhattan. And um, I actually, <coughs> I was actually in the deli on 9-11. And it was not a joke. It sounds like I'm joking because of this voice. But it was... It was it was traumatic, actually. The the being I got to the deli at seven a.m. on eighty third and Broadway. I had worked there for better part of a year, and I was just serving up, um, you know, a matzo ball soup and uh, egg creams. And I would get like a quarter, a quarter. They'd give me a quarter tip, and I'd be there at six thirty in the morning, serving coffee and kegel omelets. I mean, it was just a wonderful experience. And then you know, September eleventh, Tuesday. I came into work. I got there at 6.30. And, um, you know, around 8.30, a guy came in delivering the boar's head. He was bringing in the corned beef and the pastrami. And he came in and he said, did you hear a plane hit the World Trade Center? And, I mean, I was busy. I had some tables. Guys behind the counter were like, oh, what are you talking about? We turned the TV on. There was some smoke coming out of the tower. And we thought, <clears throat> I thought it was like a biplane. You know what I mean? I was just like, I don't know, man. I'm busy. You know, I got to whatever. And then I actually had an errand to run. I had to go downtown uh, to do like I was a I was a budding photographer at the time. And I said <coughs> I said to my boss, I said to the manager, I said, "Man, do you mind if I just take two hours off this morning? Like after the after the breakfast rush, can I duck out at like eight forty five? I'll be back at like eleven. I just got to go do this one little meeting. It was like showing my portfolio to some model agent to try to do uh, photo shoots with models or something like that. You know, I mean, this is two thousand one. Uh, so I am, uh, I'm 20 at the time. Wow. I was 20. 19 years ago. Wow. That's crazy that it was so long ago. Um, I got on the subway to go downtown and at 42nd street, the subway stopped and the conductor said, all trains are stopping at 42nd street. We're returning uptown. And I was like, what the? I've never heard that 
I lived in New York for years. Two years, maybe. I said, why are you turning up, going uptown? What? Got uptown, got off at the stop by my deli. I had some free time, so I walked around. And I saw firsthand the towers. And I saw the smoke. I was like, whoa, that's not a fucking biplane. That's like, what is this? Like, the news wasn't spreading, really. You know, I didn't have a cell phone with Twitter on it. Like, this is like I had a Nextel two-way that only I could do was like, I could basically... I could two way like my ex girlfriend or something at the time. Like I wasn't like getting tweets. I wasn't online. I wasn't like FaceTiming anybody. Two way, you know the two way. And uh I saw the smoke and I was like, whoa, that's that is not a biplane. And uh so then I stopped off. My mom was uptown as well, and I went over to see her and I walked into the apartment. And the TV was on, and she was like, have you seen what's going on? And I said, yeah, yeah. I mean, they got to put the fire out. You know what I mean? they got to figure it out. And, like, no sooner did I sit down and live TV, it just, like, went. The, or I, th- I can't remember the order of things. But any, okay, we're, we're getting sidetracked here. But anyway, that's the origin of the voice. Um, hang on a second. All right, next question. Uh, Matt Friend 29 how can I play street golf in Portland? All right, hit up, uh, hit up, um, <clears throat> um, uh, oh, hang on, I got to find his handle. I'll do it. All right, hit up Scott Mazariegos. Scott, the way it's normally spelled, Mazariegos, M-A-Z-A-R-I-E-G-O-S on IG. Scott Mazariegos. He's the uh, all things uh, urban golf Portland guy, and he will set you up. Um, I'm sure there's also... I don't know if they have a website, but do that. He's he's the guy in the episode. He's a, he's an absolute ledge. Um, okay, Mr. Eckes, are you coming back to Sydney, Australia for a hit after COVID? 100%. I love Australia. Can't wait. Josh Liam, most emotional golf experience. Have to be Ireland, my guy. Um, old head. It's on my Instagram. I posted a, a little swipe story of this experience that I've had there. I've talked about it before. I'm not going to bore you with it, but you can go go find that, and you can hear Ian the caddy talking, and you can hear what he told me, which blew me away. Absolutely. Uh, Philip Werner 99 adventures in golf Germany edition coming. Absolutely. We're working on it. We, we were, we were planning to be flying there right about now, actually after the masters, we were going to go straight to Germany and we were going to do that episode there. Uh, so that's going to be happening. Uh, you know, hopefully in the early fall 44 D low, how can I get into filming golf and what do I need to know about it? <clears throat> I mean, the thing is, dude, it's just go back to the movie wreck chipping away. You just got to go little by little. Bring a camera out, make some mistakes, drop the camera, film some stuff, get a tripod, get a little selfie stick, get a get a stabilizer, whatever you got to do. But what you really got to do is why are you filming golf? What are you going to do with it? Learn how to make a film before you learn how to bring it to the golf course. Make a 60-second film that's interesting that people say, I want to watch that after watching five seconds. You got to get people interested in five seconds, and then you've got 40, 55 seconds to tell them a story. Use that as a test, and uh, you know that should work for you. Angry Johnny, what happened to the original AIG opening tune? AIG is still great, but I missed the tune. Ba 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 ba. Don't know, honestly. Um, I think it just evolves over time. You know, I don't do the post on AIG. I do obviously consult on it and I give a lot of notes, but uh, it just changed and we, everybody was okay with it. Kind of slipped it in there. Uh, Samuel Kuhn would love to see the weird and bizarre places and courses in AIG, like season one. <clears throat> I agree, Sam. I mean, you know, like that is a thing, you know, um, and and uh, I mean, I, I don't know if I can go into why 
that that it's different now. I mean, it could even be that our filmmaking process has become a bit heavier. You know, we 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 try to do that in the vlogs a little bit if, as much as we can. But um, you know, yeah, I agree. Uh, Sam McDonald 03, are you able to walk us through the planning and logistics of shooting an AIG season? Yeah, absolutely. So what we do is we, uh, we have a, a bunch of different documents throughout our Google Drive that have a lot of different ideas on the board of uh, places we want to go, stories that we know of. And we basically look at the map of the world. And we basically need to find about at least two to three episodes that are in one sort of continental area. And because I couldn't go to Tierra del Fuego to film one episode, that's like a tremendous amount of flight time and expense to get to one place. So we need to kind of stay in and around the same area. That's one of the producerial nuts to crack, if you will. Um, And then basically we uh, we look through there and we and we find out, you know, what episodes could work, you know. Um, And then sometimes it's like we've got two great episodes and we want a third. And then we really try to dig deep and focus on, okay, we try to reach out to locals. And so we did that actually with South America. As I said, you know, I really, I, I said, I want to go to Buenos Aires. There's got to be a story there. And, you know, if you reflect on Cape Town, Cape Town was a, was a sponsor mandate. Like United said, go to Cape Town. And I was kind of like, I don't like that feeling. But at the same time, I don't know, guys, everybody's got to go to work in the morning. Everybody, you have to show up, you have to do it. And no matter what. Whether you're whether you're have a, a, a high level job, a mid level job, or a low level job, there are parts of the job that you don't like. And the fact is, United is extraordinarily generous and free with their wonderful support of Adventures in Golf. And truth is, you should be grateful to United Airlines for coming on board and making AIG possible. Because if you're not aware, seasons one and two, there was no sponsor. I made season one and lost a ton of money, but I wanted to make it great. Season two, we had just enough money to make it a, uh, a functional season. And at the end of season two, United Airlines came on board and backwards sponsored seasons one and two, and then then got on board for season three. Then season four was very different because it was like United was very involved in the production process. And they said, we really like you to go to Cape Town. And I was like, <clears throat> oh, I don't know what the story is in Cape Town. And then I thought, you know what? This is a challenge. This is a challenge for Eric. I need to find something in Cape Town. And the truth is, is that the addition of Cape Town came pretty last minute. Like, I think it was a couple weeks out and we were just about to book flights, I think. In fact, yeah, I was just about to book flights to Morocco and Egypt. And then adding Cape Town, it's a long way away from those places. It's like a 10 hour flight. I mean, Africa's a massive country, continent. And um, so we added Cape Town and I got there without a lot of time to do a lot of research. And the truth is, in my opinion, we came up with an incredible episode. I'm very proud of what we did there. And I treat that like a challenge. So it, so there's a lot of challenge to creating AIG episodes from a production standpoint. But that hopefully gives you some insight into it all. Is it's, it's, a, it's about stringing them together and making them work. And, you know, there's a lot of, you know, outreach that we do to try to find, you know, is there an episode here? Could we find something? We do a lot of Googling, a lot of researching, a lot of phone calling. I'll call a golf store in Buenos Aires and I speak un poquito de español and I say hola me llamo Eric uh, tu vistes la película Adventures in Golf y yo quiero um, hacer una filma en su país pero no sé dónde está una historia historiedad entonces um, sabes sabes una una 
fuck, I don't speak this. Sabes una, una uh, cosa interesante en su país de golf. Hay una persona, hay un uh, campo de golf, hay una... Uh, no sé, no sé. Hay algún, hay, hay algún interesante en su país en golf. Is there anything interesting in your country going on with golf? And we just kind of start there a lot of times. Um, and that's what uh, that's what AIG uh, Buenos Aires had. Um, okay, I got a little lost here. Uh, ba, 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 ba. Are you okay? That was that was a good question. Samuel Kuhn would love to see the weird and bizarre place. Okay, I already answered that one. Uh, next up. MV Nagayan, where is a course location you've always wanted to film AIG? Uh, yeah, I kind of got that. Sorry. Uh, Antarctica. Um, Carson Brinks, what's the picking process of a destination look like? Good question. Just got it. Mitch Runke, what is your favorite car to pull up <laughs> with to a golf course? Whoa, that's a solid question. I mean, it ends up being a minivan, in which case I would choose the Chrysler Pacifica which is a pretty legit mom vehicle that actually works really well for production. It's low to the ground. It's got armrests on all the seats. All the seats fall down really well. Um, a lot of room in there, good sound system, good cruise control. Um, I did, I, I, I like my car and, uh, you know, but we're not going to get into that. Um, uh, Colin Shotorbani, do you need any summer interns? Always, baby. Hit us up. Hello at Land Creative if you want to intern. Logan Weidauer. I love AIG. Please keep making new videos. Thanks, man. Ants McLean. One last country to play golf in before you kick the bucket. Come on, man. Get your head on straight. You know where it is. It's Scotland. Honestly, if you told me I could play golf anywhere in the world or just walk around St. Andrews, it would be the latter. Walking around St. Andrews is more golf than playing any other golf course in the world. And I may not, I'm, I'm, I may be crazy in saying that. Moose is big. You've witnessed so many obscure and ridiculously wonderful sites on AIG. Where do you turn next? I mean, dude, it's just about digging deeper. You know what I mean? And, and obviously I can't go do slum golf again. I can't go do prison golf again. Can't go do military golf again. Can't go do a lot of the episodes that we've already done. We, we've, we've, We've we've definitely entered a new phase of AIG, which is, you know, finding interesting stories and using the culture that surrounds the golf there to be the backbone of the story. So the the wild and obscure and ridiculous, it's 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 still possible and we still do some of those each season. But, you know, it again, that's the thing that season five we really want to do. Um, Dominic DeMarkey. Rocky Mountain courses in Canada, bro, you're not wrong. I want to get up there so bad and, and we had it on the books and then, you know, things get moved around so, so quickly. And the truth is <clears throat> when you're planning these golf trips, it's like seasons come into play, right? Like South America, we really tried to push to get that done early and we were going to head out in March to go to South America, which was way earlier than we ever start production. Usually we start production on AIG in June. Uh, more like July, August, and September is when we're really shooting. So our attempts to slide up the schedule to deal with the Southern Hemisphere weather were thwarted. Um, is AIG done, or are there going to be a few more cheeky eps? Sam Mills, come on, man. We got a lot of eps to go. We've got seasons seasons on seasons. <clears throat> um, any plans for an AIG in Ireland similar to the 16-part Scotland trip? Um, well, they're, 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 that is a great idea. And the truth is we need to find that story. And I know it exists there and we have touched on some things in Ireland, but I'm not quite sure what, when that's going to be happening. Um, I would love to do that. 
Um, is there going to be a next season and nowhere will you go? We've covered that. Season five on its way. Crony 14. Uh, D.L. Barrel. Who have you met because of an adventure, because of an episode that that you with their golf skill? Okay, that's not a complete sentence. Who have you met because of an episode that mm, you with their golf skill? Surprised? I mean, there's a keyword missing in this question that 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 disappointed you with their golf skill, that helped you with their golf skill. Uh, I mean, I that's a very good question, and it's not complete, so I don't, I'm not sure I can answer it. But I will say that Edwin Rold from Iceland was an impressive uh, knowledge of uh, golf, and I really love talking to him. Also, um, Maya, uh, Miss Thailand, she's very good at golf, and watching her swing really helped me a lot. So, again, not sure what your question was, but I tried to tried to answer it. Um, Von Vinhofen, when did you stop going for scores and focus more on enjoying the round? Uh, that was about, uh, it was towards the end of the filming for Be the Ball, which is still coming out. We're working on it. But that was a uh, a, a process of, of trying to chase score in this film about meditation and golf and the effects of mindfulness on the game and on your life. And ultimately, I found that my searching for score was ultimately futile. And obviously, we still make the break 90 videos. And, you know, that's like I'm proud of a good score when I have it. But I don't rest all of my emotional life on whether or not I play well. Um, so, you know, it was it was a few years ago. And it certainly was a wonderful experience for me. Colton, how many golf shirts and hats do you own? Yeah, right. Estimated guess. <clears throat> all right. Hang on. I'm going to look around. All right. Rough estimated guess. I'm going to say 150 golf shirts and 100 hats. Um, a lot of these are, you know, we work with a lot of, um, apparel partners, uh, Ralph Lauren, Jay Lindbergh, uh, Devereaux, uh, B Dratty, <clears throat> um, you know, a lot of great brands out there. Link soul is a great brand. Um, and, uh, did I name them all? I think I did. Um, vineyard vines. So, you know, they're, they're kind of sending, you know, a handful of shirts and, you know, it's, it's, it's embarrassing. I'll be totally honest that I have the many golf shirts. Um, and, uh, you know, but it's, it's a nice problem to have. The hats are something that I love. I, I like to buy hats wherever I go. And, um, you know, those serve as like a wonderful memory for me. So I do, I do enjoy that. Um, what changed in your life? What changed in your life, personal or golf from the first season of AIG? Um, I mean, a lot of things, you know, I think when I look back on, you know, when we started the, um, the, uh, the first season, you know, it was, it was, uh, it, it was, it, it's a good, it's a very good question, actually. Um, you know, there, there was a lot in season one that, um, was very, uh, like exploratory, right? It was, it was, it was a, it was unknown. The process of making the videos themselves was very, unknown. I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how to be on camera. I had very little confidence. I didn't know what to do. You know, we were overshooting. We were, we were not sure about the delivery YouTube. I didn't understand. Um, you know, our craft was low. We, we didn't have nice lenses. We didn't really know what to shoot. We over carried equipment. Our sound was poor, you know, and, and as time went on, we just like chipping away. We just got better at each little part of it. And then by season four, we were, you know, now it's like I could walk in and 
do this you know it, it's 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 the the language between the crew Stuart and David and myself and you know if we have a local helping us it's 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 almost like secondhand it's like we don't even need to speak sometimes we know exactly what we're doing and we even have ways of describing how we're going to shoot something you know like like we, we shot Cooper PD in a certain way. Like we, we didn't use tripods and we walked right in and we shot everything and we didn't record sound separately because we wanted to just get as much as we could right away and we wanted to have a light kit. So now if we go into a situation that's kind of difficult, we'll say it's a standard Cooper PD, the grassless golf episode from season three. Um, you know, if we're going to do an interview, we did a, we did an interview with Carson Heron, who's, uh, you know, at the Ryder Cup, a golf personality up in Minnesota. And, you know, we set up the cameras in a certain way. So if we're going to do an interview with that setup, we'll say standard Carson Heron. <clears throat> and we have all of these things. Also, I've lost a lot of drones. Any chance you can drop a surprise 30-episode <laughs> season for us tomorrow? Good question, Swinzer. I appreciate that. Um, all right, next page. Best golf course you have played in Scotland? Western Gales, Cameron. Come on, man. Um Old course, obviously, up there, but I have a responsibility to provide you with some news. Old Yin, what's the most scared you've been doing an AIG? Uh, Japan. When we got arrested, detained in Japan, you can see it on my saved Instagram story. If you scroll back, the detained story is is I was very terrified in Japan because we crashed a drone into a moving vehicle. And then they found out that we didn't have a license to drive in the country. Uh, Vendal, when can we expect the pod to be out and where? Now and everywhere you get your pods. That's a Pulse, favorite RGC so far. Ooh, favorite RGC so far. That's a tough one, man. I mean, Melbourne was very incredible. Um, number two, right? Because we 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 came back to the home of RGC in some ways. And it was just, it was our first event where we had posters. We had brought some merch down. We had burger truck or whatever. Like, it was just vibey. Royal Park is a great vibe. Also, uh, Gus uh, Wortham in Houston was really vibey. That was, that was very well done. You know, we try to put a lot of effort into making these things amazing. L.A. Uh, was great. Penmar was great. It rained, and so that put a damper on things, but it was also great. I mean, they're all so different. It's like trying to pick a child. Um, how do you pick locations, Caleb? Got that? Um, Real Pete Stevenson, how should private clubs adapt themselves to combat the drop in total golfers nationwide? Well, I mean, I've said this before on the pod, but ultimately, you know, in Scotland, they have semi-private, right? Like there are private days. You can't play Mirfield on a Monday or a Thursday, but as a guest, you can play on any day or no, on guest days at Mirfield are Monday and Thursday. So they charge guests a higher rate and they come in and play and they celebrate the golf course. But America, they're all just super private. Uh, B2B golf, favorite temp to golf in. I like 60. I would have to agree with you, my guy. B2B golf. I like I like a little overcast, a little bit of rain maybe, um, nothing too crazy. You know, I don't want to put on rain pants, but a rain jacket I'm fine with. You know, I like a little cool in the air. You know, maybe 63 degrees if I was getting really specific. Um, who else do you watch on YouTube? You know, I watch a lot on YouTube. I watch Rick Shields. I love Rick. Um, I like... Uh, <clears throat> I like Drew Binsky. He's a travel blogger. Um, I love what he does. I love Hodinky. I love watching. They have great filming stuff. Rafa makes some great videos, cycling. Um, Kevin Every. As filmmakers, what were some of the hardest challenges <clears throat> your team faced filming AIG? I mean, it's always a combination of, you know, in incredible travel days, long shoot days, trying to capture both the sunrise and the sunset with a break in the middle of the day, and then another travel day. So that's it's a very common experience over that and and you know challenges are expressed in the episode like uh, the the military golf episode was very challenging in season one um 
uh, D- Domehead00. Um, uh, is there a place you want to make an episode but simply can't make it work? That's a very good question. I mean, I, uh, Antarctica is a good example. I mean, I just can't justify the cost of going there. I mean, you need to book like a private tour or something. And, and then even when we get there, it's like, is there even a golf course? I mean, I don't even know. You know what I mean? Like, there are some very far and away that I'd love to do. But, yeah, there, there, are, there are some. Uh, oh, Victoria sent a blank message. That's good. Tyler, emoji, loud American tourist. Worst course you've ever played and your score. <clears throat> huh. Worst course you've ever played and your score. You know, if I'm going to a golf course and I'm saying it's the worst course I've ever played, I think I got something wrong with my way of looking at what my life is about. I don't know, man. I mean, because it's not really the worst course. It's the worst mindset. I, I would probably go about my mindset there. I don't know. It's a tough question. I don't think I can answer that. Katja1381, which is your favorite episode of AIG? We kind of answered this with Bob on the other podcast. Um, That was looking a lot at, um, uh, you know, Askernish being up there. Uh, Lafutin's up there for me. Askernish is kind of the best experience I've had, though. Um, Heineman, North Florida golf trip. I would love that. I love Florida golf. I would love that. Um, Ethan Pretorius, have you checked out the golf course Highland Gate in South Africa? You'll love it. I, I haven't. I don't know anything about it. I'd love to check that out. A day AWJ Burns, favorite par three hole. Ooh, that's a solid question. I mean, the first one that comes to my mind is number two at Lafutin. Uh, it's incredible. Um, favorite par three. Number seven at Rustic is pretty incredible. That's the one I had a hole in one on. Um, or number six, rather, sorry. Uh, is it six? I, can't, I can always forget the number of the hole. How embarrassing is that? Um, definitely not the one from season two where we tried to make a hole in one. That one was terrible. Um, when are you going to come into New Zealand again, AWJ Burns? Um, you know, it's a tough question. I don't know. It, it probably won't be in 2020 at this point, but it might be 2021. I'd, I'd love to get back. I'd love to go... You know, visit some hidden gems like we talked about. I'd love to play Terry Edie again, to be honest with you. I don't know if I can afford it, but we'll figure that out. Mark Scher, would you consider coming to Switzerland for an adventure in golf series? I would love to do that. I actually went to Switzerland last summer, and we toured around and spent some time in um, um, uh, Freddie Mercury's uh, recording town of um, right next to Geneva. And uh, I had a, had a wonderful time in Switzerland. I really enjoyed that country. Um Derek Starling, ever been to Zimbabwe? Uh, I have not. That's a very good question. Uh, CRN242, if you could only ever play one course again, what course would it be? I think Pacara was fire. That's pretty good. Um, I mean, if one, I mean, it might be, it might be Terry Eady to really look at it that way. I mean, you know, what you got to think about if it's only one course ever again, that means you're only eating the same food from the place, I think. I don't know how we value these questions, but, you know, uh, that's one way to think about it. Cousin Hank says, hey, thanks. J. Ruff Company, come to Colorado and play one of the oldest courses in the States, still operating. Tell me more. I'm curious. I want to know. Um, uh, best golf course you played outside the U.S.? Going to go with Western Gales on that one. What do you miss most during quarantine, Grant Batsley says? People. You know, I miss going out and saying hi to people. I miss going to my favorite restaurants. I miss going to, I miss, I miss people, man. Yeah, I miss people. Not golf so much. I mean, I love golf and I do miss playing, 
But, you know, I think that's a key thing is the people. And then your follow-up question is, what has the quarantine taught me, Grant says? I mean, it's taught me that, you know, we everything happens and we have no choice but to create a reason for it. And so with this quarantine, my reason has been to work on things that I've wanted to work on for a while. And those are all coming soon, whether it's website, membership to Random Golf Club, uh, articles, important things to me. I think that's what that's what we're using is a valuable time. Three Ball Tommy. I like that title. Are we getting a Random Golf Club in Georgia? Well, we were supposed to for the Masters, but we did not. So I wish that that had happened. All right, so that's the last of the questions on Instagram. Now I'm going to go over to my text. If you have uh, texted me, my number is um, 323-310-3988. And uh, hit me up there with any questions or thoughts or ideas or whatever, and uh, we can stay in touch on text. I'm going to take a quick break, and I'm going to come back with we have uh, 87 questions on text. So stand by. This 40-minute pod is about to double down. All right, I'm going to catch me now. We got let give me a second, all right? I'm about to do an ad read for Vice Golf. I don't even have a read, so this is a this is an ad lib. This is an ad libbed lib read. Anyway, Vice Golf, you all know I love the brand. Uh, they make a great golf ball, and there are things that I would tell you in person about the golf ball that I can't tell you in a public forum. But basically the golf ball is amazing. Technically speaking, on tests, it performs as good or better than what we call, quote, the best golf ball on tour. Now, the Vice Golf Ball also has one cool thing, which is that it's cool. Obviously, the scripting is really sweet. But beyond that, as another cool thing, I'm going to keep pulling cool things out of this ball. The second cool thing is that you can't get it in a pro shop. So go online, go to vicegolf.com, and get your slick balls. They've got all different types. They've got the Tour. They've got the Drive. They've got the Pro. They've got the Pro Plus. They've got different colors. And you can also personalize less than uh, you can personalize. I don't know what number you can personalize, but you can personalize them. Whereas other brands don't let you personalize them except for once a year. So check out vicegolf.com. Get yourself some smooth and cool balls for the course. That is anyway, y'all see you in the showers until the next ad read precision pro folks. I'm going to do an ad libbed precision pro read. Here's the thing about precision pro. They're made by some great guys in Cincinnati, Ohio, It's got great design, and coming out soon, you're going to get a very special colorway of the NX9 Pro with slope. Is that right? That's it. I got got a thumbs up in the studio here that that's the exact rangefinder. Not only do you get free battery replacement for life, but you get slope and you get laser. I mean, it is a laser, laser sharp accuracy, and you get... I don't know. You just get to be part of something cool that I'm down with. So Precision Pro is great. Obviously, the family there in Cincinnati makes them good. We did an RGC there. If you haven't seen it, check out the video on the YouTube channel. We gave everybody a rangefinder. But stay tuned. Coming around April, we're going to be releasing a random golf club version of this rangefinder. It is the most beautiful rangefinder I've ever seen on planet Earth. And I, as you know, I haven't traveled any other planets yet. I've done a lot of countries and states and towns, continents, hemispheres. But I've never left the planet. And I was just talking to someone who said that that's on their bucket list. It's not on mine. I don't share that. But on this planet, the Random Golf Club Rangefinder will literally blow your mind, but it won't blow your wallet. The Rangefinder for everyone, people. Enjoy it.
Hey, Sklar Brothers here, Randy and Jason, and we have a couple of podcasts. If you you know them or you don't know them, check them out. We do View from the Cheap Seats, which is sports and comedy, and we have a podcast called Dumb People Town where we break down stupid behavior done by stupid people in this stupid world of ours. It is hilarious. Check them both out, and now check out this podcast. All right, we're back, folks. You don't even know how long I was gone. I was I was I could have been gone for like days. I was gone for like 20 minutes. Took a little break, got a little glass of water. All right, we're back. We've got the uh questions in the uh in the text threads here. So, first one comes from Joshua Berez. He says, "How much do you practice a week and what do you practice specifically?" Um, you know, if I'm home, yeah, I'll go to the range once or twice and uh it it all depends usually i'm just practicing like feel and looking at like you know um the ball flight really it 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 really depends on where we're at in the golf swing at that moment you know sometimes it's some uh, i don't even know i I don't know about the golf swing dude come on uh carter mahoney when are we getting the rgc golf balls yeah vice is making some limited edition fully redone golf balls for us um, obviously the, uh, coronavirus has slowed things down, but it should be, um, at least it, it shouldn't be more than two months, a month and a half, two months. And we'll have those available to send out. We're really excited for those. John Hodge, favorite golf moment ever. Wow. I mean, my hole in one was great, but Stewart's was better for sure. It was great to have the team around. We were filming it. It was so exciting. It was such a beautiful day and a beautiful course. Um, that was a moment for sure. Uh, Garrett Maria, European courses or American courses? Ooh, got to go with European there, my friend. Matthew Westlover. Uh, hey, Eric, have you ever played in Canada? Um, you know, I have not. I have not played in Canada. That is something we need to fix. We should fix that this year. Stefano, um, ooh, uh, I'm sorry, Stefano. I didn't get your name right. I know I didn't. Which clubhouse or 10th hole grill has the best food? Um, Terry for sure. They, they've got a menu that's pretty incredible. That said, I'm considering doing a sticky toffee pudding tour of Scotland, which is equally amazing. Tyler Bidwell. What's the biggest thing you would encourage golfers who are just learning the game or discovering the game to focus on? Mental. It's all mental. I mean, there are you should get lessons, but you should also really try to understand how much of the game is mental from an early point because in the early days, you know, maybe as much or more than in the later days, frustration is a big part of getting better. Um, and going back to the beginning of this podcast, it's about chipping away. Uh, would love to see you come to Colorado. We have some great courses out here and don't get enough exposure. I agree. Thanks for loving the content. Nothing more than playing with a random group I just met and walking to the first part three only to hear Ace Cam. Oh, that's cool, man. Thanks for that message. I like that, Tyler. I appreciate that. Nick Gundell, um, was there one definitive moment when you truly started to appreciate the game of golf? I mean, no. It's it's a series of moments. You know, it's it's hundreds of moments. It's it's each time you hit the ball. It's each time you put the glove on. It's each time you meet someone new. It's each time you go on an adventure. It's each time you have some type of triumph whether it's a birdie or, a, or an eagle or a hole-in-one or a chip-in or a long putt. It's, it's each of those moments. And it's also the difficult moments. It's making an 11. It's, it's getting the ball in the hole at all costs and being not ashamed of the score. Um, 
but but the appreciation of the game of golf is coming waves. I mean, at first it came to travel and oddities, then it became architecture, then it became pro golfers, then it became meditation, then it became uh, you know uh, RGC, right? I mean, RGC is probably the pinnacle of my appreciation of the game of golf. Was there one? Okay, yeah. So good question though, Connor Raider. Uh, what is your favorite golf course you've ever played? Well, we kind of got that on the earlier part of the pod, but I appreciate it. It's uh, Western Gales. Will Sundreth. Eric, my man, what are the odds you're going to make, you'll be able to make it to the Wyndham Championship in Greensboro this year? If so, how do we get an RGC going? Will, I'm not sure about that. Um, you know, PGA Tour events are actually logistically complicated to produce RGC events because the courses are a bit strained as far as tee times. But I would... I strive to be able to make RGC events possible all over the globe, and it might not need to be during the tournament. So I will work on that, of course. Um, Connor Burke, huge fan. Um, oh, your message went away. Hang on. Um, huge fan. Just wanted to ask you, there are so many great things about golf. Is there anything you would change about it to improve the game, in your opinion? Honestly, a lot. I would change a lot, but I'm not a negative person. So I don't look at golf as something that is like busted or broken or not going to work. I do look at golf as the thing that can get better and that can improve. And I think there are a lot, there, it's, that's a, that's almost a topic for another podcast. Like what would I change in golf? And you know what? I'm going to do that. So stay tuned for another podcast where I'm, I'm actually going to really dig deep. I'm going to do some writing and I'll research that really great question, man. Thank you. Um, uh, Great question. We'll uh, dig deep on another pod. Solid. Um, Luke Simon. Hey, Eric. Big fan for a while now. My name is Luke from Southern Cal. My question is, what course means the most to you as far as sentimental value? This is this this is a question I can answer. Best course in the world, it's like, I don't know the parameters. I don't know the metrics. Whether it was your first course you played or your most sought-after course. Keep up the good work, man. I'll be there to tune in. Thanks, Luke. Um, honestly, your question makes me want to burst into tears. First, the sentimental value of a golf course. I mean, I mean, I guess I go back to old head with my parents and my brother. Um, you know, I did, I, I'm sure you saw that Insta story. I already talked about it earlier. It's the Instagram post from a week or so ago where it's an old head. You can scroll through and see it. The first pick is of like a walkway on a golf course, like a green path that, that was very sentimental for me. Um, good question. Oliver Olivier Haley. Uh, EL, I wanted to know if you had any golf courses you look forward to playing in Canada. Maybe a trip up to the northern golf courses in Adventures in Golf. Question for the podcast. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I know Banff has some good courses. I mean, it's it's the wild. It's the natural. It's the big. Um, but as well, it's the muni. It's the local. It's the niner. I really, I, I don't put a tremendous emphasis on a golf course. I would, if you told me I could go play five bucket list courses or have, or have, um, two banging RGCs at kind of like relatively speaking, dumpy munis, I'd rather have the RGC. Like that's what I'm more, way more interested in. And that, and that produces more of an effect, I believe on the golf world as a whole. And to go back to the earlier question, which I'm going to dig deeper on, that has more of an effect in a positive way on the game of golf and on the people who play golf. So I don't have any specifics. Um, I could do research, though. For Evan, um, hey, Eric, I love the videos on the pod. Have you ever had any near-death experiences? That's a good question. I'm going to put the phone down. I'm going to take a break. I got This is a good question. I'm gonna, I got a great answer. Hold on. All right. 
I had an apple with some peanut butter. I needed a snack for this one. Near-death experience. Evan, clubhouse leader with best question. Um, well, actually, I mean, the previous question was pretty good, too, about what would I change about the golf industry. Um, near-death experience, yes, I have. Um, the most real one was um, when I overdosed on LSD. I, uh, I took a sheet of acid over the course of two days lost my mind completely and ended up in a high hospital, the psychiatric ward, because I was extraordinarily paranoid, uh, as you might expect. Um, and, uh, it took about a week for me to chill the fuck out. <laughs> I was screwed, man. It was 17 and, um, I was just partying you know, I was just having fun. And, um, you know, just didn't just, 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 just lost it wasn't it wasn't like self-harm really it wasn't like i was trying to have anything happen it just it was just like a just lack of restraint really and in a lot of ways that's what contributes to you know me being an alcoholic and being sober now for 19 years um the uh the experience was terrifying uh there have been others since then um i felt i i had a motorcycle accident that was pretty bad um, and, and left me, I had four motorcycle accidents. One of them was the worst one was actually not the, the one that left me with the most amount of damage to my body. I had stitches all over my, um, hips and my hands. I was wearing gloves and dirt biking and I was, I was, I had my own dirt bike, which was kind of a beater. It was kind of a shitty old dirt bike that I, that I worked with. It was a, uh, CR 250 Honda. And I had made it street legal, and it was a pretty chill bike. Like I painted the rims black. It was diesel, a red and black bike. It just and it was like a nasty bike. You know, it was nasty little, little uh, um, two cylinder there. Nice bike, and um, rode it all around town. Loved it. I wanted to motard it. I wanted to put on some um, street tires, but I never got there. Street street tires, you had to change the rims, and then you had to look into getting new forks and rear suspension for the width. So I didn't go there. I couldn't really afford that trick but anyway i was out dirt biking with my buddy and i had my shitty old cr250 and he had a um yamaha yz400 which is a four-cylinder and uh, that thing or, or, uh, no no um no it's not a four-cylinder it's a two-cylinder but i mean it's twice as big and it's brand new and um yeah i just started riding in this like riverbed out there in lancaster and um i was probably going about 60 in this riverbed and um don't even know what happened just all of a sudden i was on the ground I was blazing down this flat riverbed and all of a sudden I was just a hundred feet away from the bike and I was torn up miles from the truck. I was, and it was one of those things where I just jumped up, you know what I mean? Like I'm bloody all over and, um, you know, obviously luckily I was wearing a helmet and I had shoes on good, good biking shoes. And, uh, and, uh, you know, I mean, I, and, and we, uh, there was a ranger who came by and he said, well, you know, you're not that bad. And I said, really? Are you sure? I was trembling. I noticed he had a pack of cigs in his pocket. I said, can I get a cigarette, man? <laughs> I was fucked. I was shaking, you know, and he goes, you're not that bad. And I said, I, I mean, I feel terrible. This is awful. Like, I'm, I, I don't even know when I'll be able to ride again. And he's like, no, no. The difference between bad and not that bad is if a helicopter comes. And I was like, whoa, this guy has seen some shit at this RV park, at this um, outdoor outdoor recreational vehicle park. Um, and that was bad. But the other accident, the accident that really stressed me out was I was on my Goldwing in, uh, in Iowa and I was coming down a hill 
probably going about 50, you know, like it was a back road, 45, 50, curvy road, smooth, bright summer day, maybe a Saturday. And I, and I was coming down a big hill through this like rolling hills. I was coming down a big hill and at the bottom of the hill, there was a, the road kind of bent around to the right and uh, probably at like a, you know, a 70 degree angle, a 60 degree angle, not a hard right, just kind of smooth bend to the right. And um, on the left, there was a, a street that joined at the bend and then there was a house uh, just just through the bend. And I was um, admiring a bike coming at me. It was a BMW uh, R1200, 1800, 1200. Really beautiful touring bike. You know, the guy was just looking like James Bond on that thing. And I was just admiring his bike. I waved at him and I kind of watched him longer than I should have. And when I looked up, I had not initiated the turn early enough uh, to make the turn. So, and then at the same time, there was a car coming. So it was like I was going to swing wide, but if I did that, I was going to hit the car. So in a moment of, I would say, incredible impulse reflex, somehow still obtained to me after the acid uh, overdose, and this is probably, I was like 26 maybe at the time. Uh, no, no, I was like maybe 29 or 30. And so I was, I was too late to make the turn without dropping the bike. I, I would have needed to turn too quick and I would have slid out. And, but but there was a car coming at me. So if I swung wide, I was going to go straight into the hood of this car. So what I did was, is I turned left and I went off the road early of the car. Like I was already, my momentum was already moving left because the road was moving right. And I was kind of getting towards the median of this little two lane road in the country. And so I, I just steered left and basically drove into this person's yard I hit a mailbox with the bike and just laid it down, and the bike slid into a um, into the uh, um, plants and the and the flowers and the bushes there in their yard, and uh, I laid there for a solid fifteen minutes, and I just was overwhelmed with in, like nerves and intensity, and it w- it was up there with one of the most terrifying moments and accidents of my life. Um, I. Uh, I really don't know how I didn't. It, I should have crashed. It should. It should have been a very, very serious accident. And pretty much, I, I still. I got back on the bike because I was in the middle of a ride across the country. So I was halfway through getting to New York from Los Angeles, and I had to get back on the bike, which was just a different world. You know, I don't know if you've been on a bike or anything, but I mean, after you crash, it's like you get back on the bike and it's just, it feels like you're sitting on broken glass. And, uh, in the end I stopped riding. Um, you know, there was not something that seemed very sustainable, uh, for me in my life. And, uh, but anyway, yeah, that's it. So stay safe out there, rubber side down. And if you're, if you're, if you're driving on four wheels, watch out for us two wheelers out there. Um, but yeah, um, good question, Evan. Um, and then he follows up with, if you could live in any time period besides now, what time period would it be and why? Um, I would have liked to have been around to the origin of St. Andrews. I would have liked to have seen that. Met old Tom, young Tom. Um, Evan Mellick, Evan Matlick, uh, would you be willing to do a random golf club in Pittsburgh or Morgantown, West Virginia? Oh, hell yeah. West Virginia has some hidden gems for courses. Pete Dye, Palmer, Trent Jones, um, and CB Mack. I would love to, man. I would absolutely love to. we got to figure that out. Darren Howard, want to sneak on Wilshire and play during the next full moon? Um, 
I am not going to sneak on a golf course right now. It's it's been suggested to me by some friends. I I don't think that that sets a good example for not only our community during this crisis, but also um, golf in general. Uh, I would be ashamed to be caught. Truly, to be truly honest with you, um, I don't think. Uh, my golf course sneaking on days are ahead of me. I think those are behind me. Um, Philip Panarin. Hey, Yale, any fond memories of growing up in Jersey? My brother is a freshman at Drew University. Oh, no way. And when I found out you lived in Madison, I freaked out. Dude, that's crazy. Drew was my backyard, man. I would go into the university center there, and I would uh, I would snag a roll of quarters from my mom's like little quarter drawer there, and I would just pound Outrun and Double Dragon. That's what it was all about, man. And Drew has this great little punch bowl area. I don't know. Dude, uh, Philip, if you ask your um, your brother about the punch bowl, ask him if he knows about the bench in the punch bowl. There's a little bench there. It's a park bench, and there's a view if you sit on it. I put that bench there. Me and my buddy Joe Griffin and Jeff, we went out there, and we, we, we stole the bench from the tennis court, which was a mile at least away. And we dragged it into the punch bowl so that we have a place to sit and smoke weed. Of course, we was we was smoking some weed. I mean, it was a different. I was I was confused. I was I was just trying to find answers. I was a real hippie kid, and um, <laughs> yeah. So we put that bench there. So the so the moral of the story is: if there isn't a bench, fucking bring one. Um, yeah, that's a great memory, man. Thank you for reminding me of that Andrew Brooks for your podcast in vague or general terms. What was the tipping point? that led to sobriety. Well, you guys got some real questions up in here. The real, the real story there is, I mean, alcoholism and for me, drug addiction, cocaine, LSD. Um, it, it all, uh, it's, it's, it's a, it's a slope. It's a slippery slope. Uh, but the tipping point was ultimately two, two points. It was my birthday. I was about to turn, um, 20 years old. And, um, for, I, I, I woke up in an apartment that I didn't know in Brooklyn and nobody was there. I, I apparently had been there for a party and I guess everybody had left. It was kind of a shithole. And, um, I didn't have any, um, any, any drugs on me, any, I didn't have any weed or any Coke. And I went through the entire house that I didn't know. And I tried to find some drugs. Uh, this is like 11 AM rainy, February 3rd, um, the year 2000, I believe, 2001. Yeah, it was 2001 because 9-11, which we already talked about on this podcast, I was just like six or seven months sober. And um, I, I, I tried my best to get high and I couldn't. So then I um, went to my birthday party, which was, I had ignored all the calls from my girlfriend and my parents. And then at like five o'clock, my parents were like, we really want to have a birthday dinner with you. Please come uptown. So I was in Brooklyn. I went uptown and it was actually an intervention. Um, that wasn't actually the tipping point though. That was the beginning. That was the pre-tipping point. And, and that's a message to anyone listening who's not an alcoholic but knows someone in their life that ultimately needs help. You have to be direct with them. And and unfortunately, it's a thing called tough love. And they talk about it a lot in Al-Anon, which is a 12-step program for people who are have alcoholics in their lives but aren't alcoholics themselves. Um and so I basically uh, went to this intervention and I tipped over a chair when I found out what it was. And I said, I'm out of here. Fuck you guys. And they said, fine, you're you can't like call us. You can't. We're not going to do anything for you. We're not going to 
We're not going to help you until you help yourself. And I went back to that apartment that I didn't really know. And I realized who I was staying with. And it was a girl and her brother. And, you know, it was whatever. And I stayed there for three weeks. Um, and towards the end of February, the 28th, in fact, was the date. I uh, left the apartment and I went into Manhattan to score. And I got off the subway there down in the village, which is, I mean, you know, there's this is like, I'm not, I was this, I was the type of addict who, you know, I was, I was a pussy, you know, but I scored in the West Village, which is, you know, I mean, you're going to get screwed, but it's safer than uptown. You know, you go to Spanish Harlem, you go to Harlem, you go to the Bronx. I mean, you're going to get, you're just going to get fucking mugged is the point. And so I, I was over in WeHo. We, but also the, we, we, this was back when like delivery services were coming popular. So anyway, I get out of the subway and, at this point I had already been sober. I had already gone to rehab a couple times and I was just really, really scraping the bottom of the barrel. And so I went out, I got out of the subway and it was like freezing rain, you know, end of February, uh, really, really cold. And I, and I got off the subway there at West fourth and sixth on the, uh, on the a train. And, um, I got out and it was this weird experience where, I was not well, obviously I was, I was hurting. I was deeply, deeply, deeply fractured in my soul. And I was at this point, really every time I got high, I I was at this point hitting the accelerator pedal on kind of just like damage and destruction and self ruin. And, um, I got out of the subway and, and as I walked up the stairs of the subway and onto the street where it was freezing rain, it, 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 it was, it was in the morning and, and everybody was walking against me and the rain was coming at an angle where it was hitting me in the face and the eyes. It was not, it was not at my back. It was, it was coming into me. And so were all of these people, hundreds of people, hundreds of healthy, happy, you know, positive New Yorkers with dreams and careers and suits and, and nice things and, and jobs and, and families and, and, and partners and, and friends and, and hobbies and things. And I was walking against it. And it just clicked. It just was very, very, it was as they describe in a lot of the, you know, recovery experience and literature, it was a moment of clarity. And it may have been triggered by the experience of my family three mo- three weeks prior, but it was a moment where I truly realized in an, in an actual instant, not just realized mentally, not just, not just thought, but it was, and not even really emotion, but it was like a deeper, all-knowing understanding that everything I was doing was backwards to the way that society functioned on. And I called the one person in my phone that I knew that was still sober from when I went to rehab. His name was Brian. Brian, six five, boots, nice jeans, leather jacket. He had a Ducati. He had a BMW 750. Brian was a foreman of high-rises in Manhattan. But Brian was a man. Brian was a Brian was a guy. Brian was James Bond, Steve McQueen, all of them. And he had the KD glasses, the biker glasses with the rose tint. He had a nice facial hair, smoked butts. Brian was a dude. You went to Brian if you wanted to just like be man down. You know, if you you I called Brian, I said, Brian. He answered. So what's up, buddy? How you been? I haven't heard from you in a while. And it had been a while, years. So I'm not well, man. I'm really not well. I 
I think I'm, I think I'm doing this wrong. I think I need help. And he said, all right, where are you? He said, I'm on West 4th and 6th Ave. He said, all right, stay there. I'll be right there. Came down in his Beamer, construction boots, had a, had a hard hat in the back seat, f- slicked out Beamer. I'm talking Beamer from, uh, from uh, the game, you know, the one that Michael Douglas has, just flying down, flying down the avenues there. He probably, probably came down 7th, curled around on, um, on uh, McDougal. Came up sixth Ave, picked me up. I got in the car, he gave me a cigarette. We went to a meeting, and uh, Brian had a wife, Victoria's Secret model. They had twin daughters. And uh, years go by, Brian and I are still close. Everything's going well. Brian and I kind of stopped seeing Brian. He's really busy with the family. He's, you know, he's got a huge penthouse on Gramercy Park there. Everything's going great. Gets a house upstate, stops seeing him. A couple years go by. Our mutual friend Tim calls me. He says, "Hey, I uh, I wanted to talk to you. Are, are you doing okay?" I say, "Yeah, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. You know, but probably, probably five years sober. I was in Charleston, North Carolina, filming a documentary on the movie Dear John. I made the behind the scenes of all the movies back then. So I would get paid like a flat fee to go out and like film a documentary about the movies that goes on the DVD extras." And um, I was there with my girlfriend at the time, and you know it was a great time. We said it's a nice hotel room in Charleston, beautiful country, beautiful city. And Tim calls me. I'm on the patio of this little, you know, hotel, and he says, "I got, I got some bad news." I said, "Why?" Well, he said, uh, "Brian overdosed, and he's he's not. He's dead." And uh, it's a strange unfolding of events, and I didn't think we were gonna talk about this today but um yeah good 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 topic andrew um simon menard what's the single biggest uh tip hang on all right um i can't i gotta i gotta end this um but to answer your question simon the simple biggest uh tip or swing thought that lowered my handicap would be um, course management, you know, figuring out where your ball goes and just kind of playing to that, playing your miss. Um, I'll get to the rest of the questions on another pod. I uh, I really appreciate it. I, 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 I'm really, um, I'm really blown away by everybody's questions, um, both golf related, uh, life related, um, I just, I just, I can't really like continue to talk about trivialities after that story. You know, Brian was a, uh, I don't believe in angels. I don't, but if there is one, it's a guy like Brian, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, it's kind of like as we walk through the fairways of life, we have to realize that we don't really know what the purpose of someone in our lives is. It may not be clear for years. And, You know, uh, I know right now it's like I know a lot of us are struggling. I know I'm struggling. You know, I'm trying to put on a face, trying to do my job, trying to stay positive. You know, what has quarantine taught me? You know, good question. But it's hard. You know, I'm like I'm solo. I'm solo right now. You know, I'm with Snowball. But uh, for God's sakes, he can't talk. 
he cannot communicate with anything other than barking or whining or shitting or pissing or eating. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You're good. You're my best friend. Um, he's he's lying on a hoodie right now on the ground. Um. Yeah, but, you know, I know that we're all kind of in a state right now, and it's a lot of confusion. I know a lot of us are out of work. I know a lot of us are struggling to figure out how this is going to impact our lives. I know that we're faced with no more distractions. We're dealing with things that we don't normally deal with on a daily basis. Who are we? What are we doing? Why are we doing this? Where is everybody? How's my family? People. Some people are sick. Some There's someone listening to this podcast who has it. Right, who's 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 got it bad? Right, who's like my lungs are fucked, and you know it it really you know to take a tiptoe out onto thin ice here. I mean, you know, not everything happens for a reason. Really, I do believe that there are things that happen that have no reason. There are things that don't make any sense. There are things that are completely fucked. There are bad things happen to good people all the time. And it doesn't make any sense. And at the same time, it is really an individual journey for us to understand that perhaps it's our responsibility to find meaning from those things. And so when I think of this story of Brian, I kind of think about, you know, I posted on Instagram on my anniversary at the end of February. And I said, you know, I've been sober this long. And I talked about how and why. And, you know, that for me was not as much of a celebration of me, but more of a hand for anyone else who doesn't have a Brian to call. And, um, God, things hit me hard in quarantine, man. You know, like I just, I was looking through old photos the other day and it was just like filled with emotion looking at all these old photos of things that happened, places that I went, experiences that I had. They're all gone. They're gone. But yet they're still me. They're still part of me, even though from a cellular level, I am a different person three times over. My cells have changed 100%. But it doesn't, really do anything to the memories of our lives up until this point. We've all got a story, and that's called Asunder. A-S-U-N-D-E-R. The idea that each individual person on this planet, you listening right now, you have a story. And so whatever you've heard on this podcast or whatever you saw in a video or whatever you read or whoever you've met or wherever you've played golf or or friendships that have developed or degraded. It's it's all how we color the world. And ultimately, the idea that things don't happen for a reason is is both true and completely false. And that's really the paradox of it all. And I think that's why golf, for all of us, is a game that completely rivets us, fascinates us for decades. It's the same game. No matter where you go, it's the same game. You tee it up, you find it, you hit it again. You try to get it on the green. You make the putt. It doesn't, it doesn't change wherever you go all over the world. Everyone asks me what my favorite golf course is. It doesn't matter. Where you play golf is meaningless. I hope I've done at least enough to explain that. It doesn't matter. 
That's why it's like if you ask me like, where would I want to go play golf? Like, I just want to play golf with someone. I don't want a solitary game. I live a solitary life. And that's part of what makes me me is the loneliness that led to depression, which led to alcoholism and drug addiction. And reaching out to Brian and connecting with him was was the cornerstone of me changing my life in a way that few do in their lifetimes. If you're out there and you don't need to, consider yourself lucky. If you're out there and you are having a lot of pain and it's like, this is terrible, well, find your Brian. Find him now. Don't wait. And don't look for anything other than yourself in life. It's like we've gone all over and done all these incredible episodes of Adventures in Golf and we've done all these vlogs and videos and podcasts and really it's just me just trying to figure out who I am. And that's something that Craig T. Nelson has said to me for years. You know, if you haven't listened to his podcast, swipe up. (laughs) If you haven't listened to it, listen to it. But Craig's always been telling me that the uh, this essential search of a person in their lifetime is to figure out who they are. Self-realization, self-understanding. Who are we? Why do we play golf? How do we play golf? What do we want? What are we going to give? What are we going to do? What does one trivial thing that we're going to do mean? What kind of an impact is it going to have on the world? I'd like to leave you with that. I... Uh, I really appreciate it. If you made this far in the podcast, I uh, you've got uh, you got a, a thumbs up in my book. Um, sorry for cutting it short. I think you'll understand. Um, I I don't have a good way to end this one, but um, I guess just thank you. Thank you for your questions. Um, they were they were funny. They were interesting and they were meaningful and I appreciate it. And uh, I don't know what I'm going to go do right now, but uh, I think I'm, I don't, I don't think it really matters so much. Maybe I'll just go take Snowball for a walk. Um, you know, the hardest thing about the fucking podcast is it's like, I'm just talking into a vacuum. I'm sitting here looking at this, like, I got this, like, foam wall. It's a padded wall that's shaped like a, it's like a half a circle. And it's aimed to cut down the reverberations so that it sounds good. But, yeah, I'm just alone here on the mic. (laughs) This is going to start sounding depressing. It's not. Everything's fine. But there are things in life that are beautiful and painful. And in fact, I would say life in general is that way. Golf certainly is. Beautiful golf course, triple bogey. Ugly golf course, eagle. It's not the paradox as much as it is the complete melding, merging of beauty and pain. And that's the idea of the rose, is that It smells wonderful and it attracts you. It lures you in. But then when you try to grab it, it hurts you. 
And so it's kind of like the rose is designed somehow divinely to be admired and then to be let go of. Probably just like experience, probably just like golf courses, probably just like people, probably like our own score, our own lives, our own being, our own self-identity. It's to be experienced and then let go of. We're supposed to drop it. We're supposed to walk on. We don't stand there and smell the roses forever. That's the life of a lush. That's hungry ghost in the Buddhist sense. Hungry ghost is the idea of a, of a being that cannot be consumed to a degree that will satisfy them. They basically die within their own hunger, and they just basically live for more and more and more. And it's the definition of an alcoholic. It's the definition of any one of us that's really just constantly grasping and searching and wanting. When really, once you cut off all of that hungry ghosting, that's when you have the opportunity to really do something. And that's in some ways why meditation is such an incredible effect on the game of golf. Because the more we strive in the game of golf, the more we want, the more we deeply need something from the experience, the less we acquire it. But the more we show up as a full entity and being that is completely secure and solid in their being, the more that we are unified in that singularness of ourselves, the more we leave with. But if we show up wanting, timid, afraid, unsure, and lacking, the more we literally leave our entire being on that golf course. So whatever it is, I think for me, it's just about taking this space that we have now in quarantine and just really focusing on how we can be whole. And as we look at that, I recommend watching The Way Back. I recommend reading Zen Golf. We're going to do a uh, video about, you know, what you can do during quarantine to help your golf game. And it's obviously all mental. So again, sorry for the uh, downer of an ending, but I hope it was meaningful. And I, again, I am very grateful to your input on this podcast. And uh, I look forward to connecting on the course sooner, please, rather than later. Thank you very much from the bottom of my heart. Uh, rest in peace, uh, Brian.